something I pray for in my life and I'm really concerned about and I try to examine and check periodically is about whether or not I'm bearing fruit. You know, when you read through Scripture, the idea of being fruitful, it seems important to God. I read somewhere that the word for fruit, and and as it's used in the life of a believer, is used around 66 times in our New Testament. And that seems to be something that God is wanting to emphasize to us, to make sure that we understand how important it is. Uh, And not only is there an emphasis on the fact that we we kind of that fruitfulness is important, but that there is an expectation of our being fruitful. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 13. He says that a certain man had a fig tree, had fig trees planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he to the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it on the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year. Also, until I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then thou shalt cut it down. Now, there's a lot in that passage we don't have time to talk about, but just kind of some basics that are important for what we're talking about tonight. God the Father is the owner of the vineyard. Jesus is the the one who's the dresser of the vineyard, and, and essentially we're the fig tree that's meant to bear fruit. Uh, and what we learn from this is, one, that, that God does expect fruit in our life. Right? The, the owner of the fig tree, the owner of the land, he came around and he expected that there would be fruit on that tree. In the same way, God expects that there would be fruit in our lives because of our connection to Christ. Um, something else that's great about this is that God is patient. Right? Notice that the, we don't know how many years it's been, but the vineyard owner had been there years and years and, and when asked, he, he waited again another year. There, there is, I think, a great deal of comfort in knowing that God is patient with us. Right? God does not expect us to bear fruit beyond our spiritual maturity level. And even if we're slow in bearing the fruit that we should bear, we have a, a gracious and a patient God who, who waits and gives us more and more time. Uh, we also learn there that Jesus is for us. Right? Jesus is the one who tends the, the vineyard there that tends the garden. And he intercedes. Give it another year. I'm going to work and I'm going to dung it. And I'm going to you know, do all of this work to make sure that it can produce fruit. Jesus was interceding. Jesus is working. And, and that's kind of what he does in our life. Jesus, Bible says that he, he ever lives to make intercession for us. But he's also at work in us and through us and for us. Ensuring that we, we can bear the fruit that God would have us to bear. And then the final thing is just that we can bear fruit. Uh, we, we actually are able to bear whatever fruit God intends for us to bear. We, we know this because, one, God expects it, and God never expects from us what, what's not possible to happen in our lives. We know because Jesus is for us, and He is working for our good to make this happen. So we can bear fruit. So we should always see fruit. In our lives. Now, Scripture gives us a lot of different fruit that should be born in our lives. But for this next few weeks, we're going to focus on one kind of fruit in particular the fruit of the Spirit. So open your Bible to Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. Uh, that's page 893 if you have a Pew Bible. Let's read these two verses and then kind of talk about what we're going to look at for the next several weeks. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, 
gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The title of the message tonight is The Fruit of the Spirit, Love. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you for your grace and goodness. Thank you for what we see in your, in your word, Lord, that, that you want good for us. You want us to bear good fruit for your glory, that Jesus is for us and he is working to make sure that we can do this, that you are patient and kind and loving. Lord, these are wonderful truths. Help us, Father, to be inspired by that, to examine our lives, to look for the kind of fruit that you want. And, and Lord, to do what we need to do to ensure that that kind of fruit is produced in our life. Help us tonight as we start this series on the fruit of the Spirit, that Lord, as we look at, at what the Holy Spirit does in us in this, that Lord, we would long for it in our lives, we would seek you for it, we would do what we need to do so that we could have these character traits evidenced in our lives. Have your way in all things. Fill me with your Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Be glorified in all that happens. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this passage is probably pretty familiar. In fact, there's a better than average chance that some here could probably recite the fruit of the Spirit from memory. But with, with all things, there is a, almost a two-edged sword with the level of familiarity we likely have with the fruit of the Spirit. Right? On the one hand, it is always good to be familiar with Scripture, particularly Scripture that talks about the kind of character traits that should be evident in our lives. But on the other hand, familiarity can lead us to rush past and, and miss the significance of what is mentioned here, what is talked about here, and, and really the great challenge that this provides for our lives. So we are going to spend the next several weeks looking at the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to spend one week on each character trait of the fruit of the Spirit and kind of look at them more in depth so we can understand what they are, what we need to do, and if they're not there, we can make necessary corrections. As we look at the fruit of the Spirit, there are, I would say, two foundational truths we need to understand before we look at the first one tonight, love. First is, there's really only one fruit of the Spirit, right? There's not nine different fruits of the Spirit. Chances are we've all seen pictures of the fruit of the Spirit, and it's pictured like as a, as a big bowl, um, where there's a strawberry, there's, uh, that's love, and joy is an apple, and peace is an orange, and on and on like that. Now, now my understanding of what is talked about here is that that is wrong. Right? This isn't different, different fruits... Uh, this is one fruit with different aspects of it, right? My King James says that the fruit of the Spirit, and, and I looked at several translations that are very common and very popular in our day, and, and there's not any translation that I could find that, that translate fruit in the plural, that the, the, these are the fruits of the Spirit. All of them put them in the, in the singular. This is the fruit of the Spirit. So there's one fruit of the Spirit... And all of these different aspects that we're going to talk about in the next several weeks, they make up one big fruit. So rather than see eight different fruit, we should probably see it more like the fruit of the Spirit is like an orange, right? So there's a slice that's love, a slice that's joy, a slice that's peace. And all of those together, they still make up that one orange, that one piece of fruit. And that may seem like a minor thing, but I really don't think that it is because of our, our our natural human tendency to rationalize when there's an issue in our spiritual in our life in general but especially in our spiritual life if we look at the different traits the different elements of the fruit of the spirit and say these are all different fruits of the spirit then what we do is we tend to overlook or excuse or or rationalize 
any deficiencies that we may find in our lives. Right? And what this does really is it, it allows us to live a life that is far less than what God intends for us to live. We end up settling instead of, of striving. Right? So let's say, for instance, that, that someone has a lot of anxiety and they're just constantly anxious and constantly fearful. Well, no, anxiety is the opposite of, of peace. Right? You, you're not really filled with peace and filled with anxiety at the same time. And if we see peace as a whole separate fruit of the Spirit instead of the totality of just a part of what the fruit of the Holy Spirit produces, then what we tend to do is say, well, you know, I'm just a worrier. That's just who I am. That's my character. What am I going to do? Well, that's really not the way God intends for us to live. Right? So what we have to realize is that when we are living a Spirit-filled and a Spirit-led life, all of these traits will be produced in our life. Right, so I can't say, well, I'm a, I'm a love guy, and, and the Holy Spirit just produces an overwhelming love in me, but I'm not very patient, I'm not very long-suffering. I just have a short temper and I blow up all the time. That, that's not the way it works. The Holy Spirit that produces love, He also produces long-suffering. The Holy Spirit that produces peace also produces gentleness. Right, So all of these are meant to be seen and evidenced in our lives. And, and of course, anytime. Anything that the Bible says should be in our lives is not in our lives. That's a sign that something is not right with us. Now, the second foundational truth is that there is a, a dual responsibility for these traits to be evident, to be produced in our life. Now, clearly, the point of this passage is that the Holy Spirit produces these things in us. And, and that's a, certainly something we don't want to undermine. We don't want to say, well, okay, that's just wording and we've got to do it all. The Holy Spirit absolutely produces these things in us, but the Holy Spirit does not produce these things in us as we sit passively by and don't do anything else, right? It's not like I just pray, Holy Spirit, produce this fruit in me, and then I don't do anything, and suddenly I'm brimming and overflowing with these things. Because when you, you look at the New Testament, you find every one of these character traits it is listed in other places, and at various times we are told that we are, we are to do those things. Right? We are to be loving. Right? Jesus said that we are to love one another with the same kind of love that He has given to us. Right? So the Holy Spirit produces love, and yet we are supposed to love. Right? So that's something we're meant to do. But the Holy Spirit produces joy, and yet Paul says we are to rejoice always in the Lord. Philippians 4.4. 4. Right? The Holy Spirit produces peace, and yet Ephesians we're to, or, I'm sorry, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commands us not to worry. Right? And so we could go all through and we would see that, that Ephesians commands us to be long-suffering and, and make allowances for another's faults. Ephesians also commands us to be kind to one another. Second Peter, we're to make every effort to add goodness to our life. In the book of Revelation, we're told to be faithful unto death. Ephesians, again, says that we are to be meek. And in First Peter, we're told to be to think clearly and be self-controlled, which is... Temperance, the last trait that's listed there. And the reason I'm taking time to explain this is because of how easy it is for us to become passive in our spiritual life. It is easy for us to say, well, the Holy Spirit does this, so I'm going to pray to be loving. And, and if I'm not loving, then, then the Holy Spirit is kind of just not producing it. Apparently, I'm not a loved person. I'm not the kind of person that that's meant to be. And that's not what we're supposed to do. What we're supposed to do is we pray, Holy Spirit, produce these things in my life. Then we look at Scripture 
and we find what the scriptures say I'm supposed to do so that these things are evident in my life. It, it is a, I don't know if the word is synergy is the right way to say it, but the Holy Spirit does His part, and yet we also, we are meant to do our part. And if we do our part, the Holy Spirit will do His part, and all of these will be produced in our lives. So, starting tonight with love. Now, on the surface, the idea of love seems easy. Because we, we all love. I mean, there's not anyone in here tonight that doesn't love someone. Right? We love our spouse. We love our kids. We love our friends. We love our pastor. Uh, and when we focus on love in this way, it makes it easy to forget the kind of love that Jesus calls on us to have. Because love in the New Testament, it's really not easy like that, is it? I mean, in the, in the Greek language, there were three words for love. One was eros, and that was erotic love, and that's based upon sexual attraction. Uh, there was phileo, which referred to brotherly love. This is kind of a, a reciprocal love. I love you because you love me. It's for families and friends. But then there was the word agape, and it was an unselfish, sacrificial love. Right? Agape love loves people regardless of feelings. Right? So if, if I have an agape love to someone, I, I love them. Whether I feel like loving them or not. Which is a strange thing to say, but that's kind of the picture. <clears throat> if I agape someone, I love them even if they don't deserve my love. Right? Because the reality is some people don't deserve our love and our affection, do they? And yet, an agape love gives that love willingly despite the unworthiness of the person being loved. And then, unless I'm mistaken, and I don't think I am... Agape is the word that is always used when speaking about God's love for us. God has loved us with an, an agape, unselfish love. And it's the word agape that is used in the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit, He doesn't produce eros and just make us sexually attracted to someone. And the fruit of the Spirit, He doesn't just produce phileo so that we love those who love us. The Holy Spirit produces is agape. An unselfish love that is sacrificial and loves other people in the same way that God has loved us. Now, it's easy to forget how great God's love for us is. Right? We, we have to remember that if this is God's love for undeserving sinners. Right? God commendeth His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I think this is something we know, but it's easy enough for us to forget. Jesus didn't die for us as fully devoted followers who, who loved Him of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He died for us as we were rebellious sinners. And he, he loved us despite the fact that we were in rebellion, we were sinners, and there was nothing in our lives that was deserving of His love. But not only were we undeserving sinners, but, but we were unloving enemies. Right? Colossians says, and you were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh to his death to present you holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. Right? Nobody is ever neutral towards God. There are two groups of people in the whole world. There are those who love God and are the people of God and there are the enemies of God. That's it. Nobody's neutral. Right? We, we choose a side. Jesus said that, that we have to choose a side. So those that, that reject Jesus and do not surrender to Him, 
They are enemies of God. Now, it's not that God is their enemy. It's that they are God's enemies. By their, by their evil thoughts, by their wicked actions, by their unwillingness to surrender to the lordship of Christ, the, the rule of God over their lives, they are in effect saying to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you will not rule over me. It is essentially treason against the ruler of all. And by doing so, we make ourselves his enemies. And despite that's who we all were at one point. And despite the fact that at one point that was us, we were God's enemies. He still loved us and sent his son to give his life on our behalf. Now, so think what this means for us. It means in part that we don't get to pick and choose who we want to love. But we can't say I'm going to love just my wife and my kids and my family. We can't say I'm just going to love my church family. I'm just going to love people who are like me. I'm just going to love people who love me back. We are in fact commanded to love Everyone regardless. I mean, Jesus makes it really hard. But I say unto you, which here, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. Now, notice that Jesus connects love with actions. But he didn't just say love your enemies and be sure to say I love those who hate me. No, love them. And do good for them. Right? That love is not so much the words that we say. It is the actions we take. And when we love others as God has loved us. We do good for them. Even if they are our enemies who actively work against us in our life. That's a, that's a challenging thought isn't it? That's hard for me. That's a, a difficult thing that we see. Jesus will go on later in the same passage. <clears throat> and make it harder, I guess, and says, if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those who love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also even do the same. What he's saying is there's, there is nothing particularly praiseworthy about loving those who love us. Even sinners love those who love them. Hardened criminals in prison love those who love them and are good to those who are good to them. But there's nothing that is like Holy Spirit supernatural about loving those who love us and doing good to those who are good to us. What is praiseworthy is loving those who are our enemies. Those who do work against us. Those who aren't particularly kind to us. And that's also where the Holy Spirit supernatural is because I can't do that on my own. I mean, I, I can, if I really dislike someone, and that's not even like if they're my enemy, but I just dislike them. It is hard for me to just be cordial to them, right? Not even friendly and kind, but just not ignore them, leave the room when they walk in. Or belittle them in some way. Uh, you, you probably don't have that problem. But I, I do. So someone that I actively dislike. Who is actively mean to me. 
to love them and be kind to them, that's not something I'm able to produce on my own. That is a, a supernatural Holy Spirit thing that has to be done in my life. And, and probably yours as well. So how do we know? How can we tell if we really love this way? Because that's easy to say. Sure, I, I love those, my enemies. How can we tell? There, there's a good way. Let me give you a test. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And I know we've done this before, but it's always good to do it again. 1 Corinthians 13, of course, is very familiar, the, the love passage. Now, verses 1 through 3 talk about the importance of love. And we'll just hit this quickly. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and yet have not love, I become as a sounding brass or a, a, a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Now, that, that, those verses should really stand out. Because of what Paul is saying. right? Essentially, no matter what spiritual gifts we have, no matter what actions we take or what we do, if it's not based upon love, then it's ultimately worthless. Right? If we had all the gifts of tongues, could speak all the language of all the people in the world, and yet we didn't love any of them, our speech would not matter. It would be just noise. If we had the gift to know of prophecy and we knew everything, we could perfectly explain every difficult passage of Scripture but did not love, wouldn't matter. And if we gave all of our goods away and we sacrificed to the point of even becoming a martyr for the faith, but it wasn't based upon love, that sacrifice would be worthless. Now that's... Those are big statements about love. And then in verses 4 through 7, we're given pictures of what love looks like. Right? So first, verse 4, love suffereth long. Right? This is kind of the, the opposite of, of short-tempered. When I love someone, I don't fly off the handle in anger at them for every little thing. Love is kind. Kindness takes the initiative and responds to needs. When I love someone, I, I see what they need, and if I have the ability, I take the initiative to help it. I don't even necessarily wait for them to ask. Love envieth not. Right? Love is not jealous of what others have and what others accomplish. Love is not jealous of others. It's sort of there's a picture of we trust them. Uh, love is love vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. Right? So the picture is feeling or acting superior. When I love someone, I won't treat them as though they are inferior to me. Verse 5, love did not behave itself unseemly. This refers to actions or words that are improper, impolite, discourteous, or rude. And really what it's saying is, when I love someone, I won't treat them in a way that makes them feel put down. Love seeketh not her own. Love looks out for others and seeks their best interest. When I love someone, I don't always have to have my way in everything. Love is not easily provoked. Right? This means, again, not easily angered or touchy. When I love someone, everything they do doesn't get on my nerves. Love thinketh no evil. Love 
that thinketh no evil there really refers to kind of keeping track of what they've done. Um, think about, well, I, I've had lots of chance, opportunities in marriage counseling with people. They've been married for 10, 15 years and they can tell me stuff that the person did on the first week of their marriage. We were married a week and he did this or she did that. that that's, that's, that's the opposite. Thinketh no evil means we don't have that book. Right? When we forgive someone, we don't keep it stored in our pocket and, and bring it up at the right moment. Look, oh yeah, did I do wrong? But look at what you did. Right? That's not love. That's the opposite of love. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Right? So love takes no pleasure when others fail. When I love someone, I won't receive any pleasure when they fail spiritually, morally, or in any other way. Love beareth all things. It's a military term, which means to sustain an attack. When I love someone, I don't give up fighting for them. Love believeth all things, willing to think and expect the best. When I love someone, I give them the benefit of the doubt. Love endureth all things. Love stays through hardships and pain. When I love someone, I don't give up on them. Now, that's kind of what love looks like in action. That's, that is the kind of love that that the Holy Spirit produces in us. That's this kind of love that we're talking about. But just knowing that isn't the real test. The real test is when we, we personalize what Paul wrote here and ask ourselves, does this ring true? Now, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through these verses again. And where it says love, I'm going to insert my name. And I want you to read through it on your own with me, and you insert your name. All right. So, verse four: Stacy suffers long. Stacy is kind. Stacy envies not. Stacy vaunteth not himself. Stacy is not puffed up. Stacy does not behave himself unseemly. Stacy seeks not his own. Stacy is not easily provoked. Stacy thinks no evil. Stacy rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Stacy bears all things. Stacy believes all things. Stacy hopes all things. And Stacy endures all things. Now, as you personalize the passage, does it ring true with who you are in your life? How you act? And I think, honestly, I think it, you start with, it's not like you start with our enemies at this point. Does that ring true with how you act with people you do truly would say, I love? Does it ring true there? And then, if it does, then we begin to branch out. Does it ring true to people I know but don't have any issues with? And we, then we get to that because what we just read there, that's still supposed to be how we treat our enemies. And that's fine. That, that is something that is beyond, beyond me. I can't do this. Truth be told, I can't do this with people that I know love me and that I do love. I fail at this on the regular if I try to do it on my own. So we we certainly, we can see that we need the Holy Spirit. We need Him to make us love the lovable this way. We need Him to make us love those we love this way. And then we absolutely need Him to make us love our enemies in this way. So... What do we do? Right? The Holy Spirit, this is what He wants to produce in us. That's, that's what He will produce. 
What is my part? What do I need to do to work with the Holy Spirit? There are two, two things, I think. One is we have to want to live, no, want to love this way. That's why you can't edit your own stuff. Want to love this way. Let me ask you, is it possible? Is it possible? One of the reasons we don't show the kind of love we've talked about today is because we really don't want to love in that way. I mean, is it possible that we are really okay and good with with loving people like we've talked about that already love us or are like us? But we really, deep down, we don't want to love and show love to those who are different than us or those that we don't like. Do we we justify this lack of love by saying something like, well, well, no, I, I don't love them, but did you see what they did? Did you see what they said? Did you see what they're for? Did you see what they're like? And that, on a natural level, that argument is perfect sense. But we're not meant to live at a natural level. The reality, the hard reality, is that their actions should not stop our love. That's why we looked at Jesus saying to love your enemies and to do good to those who curse us and despitefully use us. Right? Jesus told us how they act shouldn't change who you are. You should be like me and be my disciple no matter what they're like. The world is filled with angry, hateful people who say terrible things and often about us for any number of reasons. And as disciples of Jesus, The proper response is not to be just as angry and just as hateful and just as mean as they are. That's the natural response. But we're not natural people. We're spirit-filled, spirit-led, born-again disciples of Jesus. And that's why I say we have to genuinely want to love in this way. I mean, do you, do do I, really want to love the hateful, the disrespectful, those who mock our values, those who try to provoke us, those who are just mean and just nasty people? Do we really want to love them in a 1 Corinthians 13 sort of way? Now, before we will ever bear the fruit of the Spirit that's love, we have to. We have to want to love other people in the way that God has loved us. That's a a requirement. To do I really want to live, to love this way. And then finally, second one, just surrender to God. It, It is my experience and what I see in Scripture that God rarely forces us to grow and to change in this way. I mean, he could. He's God. But he chooses not to. Instead, what God typically does is he lays out his way, which is the best way. 
And that he wants us to say, I love you. I trust you. Your way is best. And I'm going to do what you want me to do. God wants us to love in the way that we've talked about today. To love all people in the way that we've talked about today. The way that he has loved us. And this is an act of surrender on our part. It is surrendering our will to God's will. It is saying, God, I want what you want so much that I will lay aside whatever this is that keeps me from loving them so that I can, so the Holy Spirit will produce this in my life. Now, when we talk about surrender or submission, it's important to understand that it's really not surrender until we don't want to do it. That's the whole point of surrender. Right? So this isn't, well, I want to love them, so I'm surrendering to the Lord. No. That's not surrender. If you want to love that way, that is wonderful. Surrender is not the issue for you. But if you're here and you're already thinking about somebody or some people or a group of people that you don't want to love in this way, then for you it is an act of surrender because you don't want to do it. It's not surrender until we don't want to do it. Surrendering to God is saying to God, this isn't what I want, but I know it's what you want. So I surrender To do your will in this area of my life. And there's any number of things it could mean. It could mean that we have to give up sinful and racial prejudices. It may mean we have to give up sinful pride that makes us feel that we're better than others. It may mean that we have to get out of our comfort zone to do something for others. It may mean we have to give someone another chance even though they've let us down many times in the past. It may mean we stop bringing up different ways someone has failed us or wronged us in the past. It may mean we choose not to give up on a relationship we're considering giving up on. It may may mean that we stop telling jokes or stories or sharing social media posts that that denigrate a person, a race, a sex, or a group of people. It may mean that I put someone else's wants and desires ahead of my own. It may mean any number of other things to each one of us. But whatever it means to you, whatever it means to me, that's what we have to do. If we are to bear the fruit of the Spirit, there has to be an an element of surrender. I surrender to this. You know, we sing the song, I Surrender All. You haven't really thought about that. All. This is a part of all. I I surrender my anger. I surrender my hatred. I surrender my lovelessness. I surrender to love them as you have loved me. So tonight, let's start praying and asking God to help us love others with the same kind of love He has shown us. As we do this, let's search our hearts and see if there's any, anything that hinders me from truly wanting to love in this way. And whatever that is, to lay it aside, to put it on the altar, and to surrender that to the Lord so we can love others in the way that He has loved us. Let's pray.